Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Frame. Eric Scopel is with me as always. Real quick before we dive into the show, um, we should note that earlier this week, uh, the guys at National Headquarters for Support and also uh, our parent company, CBS, um, they figured out a way to create some insane value for anyone that subscribes to DuckTerritory.com, uh, if you can get CBS All Access for free by subscribing to DuckTerritory.com. So that's a $9.99 a month value. Uh, the, the annual plan is priced out at $99.99 for the year. Um, that's insane. You, you can get your free all access account to CBS uh, simply by subscribing to DuckTerritory.com. Uh, and it's not just for new users. If you are a current subscriber to DuckTerritory.com, you get access to this. Uh, and you will have access to CBS All Access. It's their it's their TV streaming platform as long as you subscribe to 24-7 Sports. So stream over 10,000 episodes, all access originals, all live TV, including NFL on CBS and the SEC Game of the Week. All of that is complimentary, free, uh, to you, the subscriber of DuckTerritory.com, because uh, you are part of the 24-7 Sports Network. We've got a, a link up on the site that can get you taken care of to activate your all-access account. I've done it already. It's pretty fantastic. Uh, no commercials as well, which is always a plus. Um, now that we got that out of the way, Eric, good show for today. We've got Ryan Abraham of uscfootball.com. He's coming on the show to talk to us about this football game this weekend, uh, get you ready to go about this USC Trojans football program that's 5-3 and three overall, 4-1 and one in the Pac-12 South. And this is a huge game for them. Like, if they lose, they give up control of the Pac-12 South. If they win, it puts them in a really good position to, to make it to the conference championship game. Yeah, there's a lot of it, a lot on the line for both teams, right? I mean, Oregon has already cemented themselves in that Pac-12 North stand. I mean, it would take an awful lot for Oregon not to win the Pac-12 North. They have to lose every game. Yeah, basically almost impossible at this point. But we should. It's still. I guess it's not impossible, so we should still mention it. But for USC, this game is is also really really significant because yeah, for Oregon, this is mostly about kind of maintaining the win streak, uh, position themselves possibly to make the college football playoff, possibly to make the Rose Bowl, playing the conference championship game. But for USC, they, they have a chance as well to do the same thing. And, and, and we should mention, after this game, the schedule's pretty easy for USC, if we're being honest here. They go to Arizona State, who has not looked very good of late, at Cal, who has looked even worse of late after starting off really, really well. Right. And then they host UCLA, uh, you know, in that last game on the 23rd of November. So 
if you're used to, and USC, uh, you know, is a very, very talented football team and certainly capable of winning those last three games. And if they do so and they beat Oregon, they would win the Pac-12 South and meet Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game because USC beat Utah heads up. And even the fact that Utah has just been dominant, now ranked in the top 10 along with Oregon, there's a chance the youths get left out here because of that loss if Oregon cannot beat USC this weekend. So I guess, you know, if you're an Oregon fan, you're kind of, you're at a spot here where, where you, Things are, pretty, are going pretty good, and you have a chance to, you know, if you had to pick, I guess, if you play Utah or USC, I think that would be a difficult determination. Um, but this weekend's game will play a major role in, in setting up who Oregon plays, honestly, because if Oregon wins this game, they're going to play Utah. It's almost, a, it's almost a sure thing. I don't think Utah loses, unless Utah loses to at Washington. They, yeah, they could lose to Washington. And that's possible, too. But uh, there's a pretty good chance that if Oregon wins this weekend, that they'll be facing Utah in the championship game. And if they lose this weekend, that they'll be playing USC once again uh, in early December for a chance to to play in the Rose Bowl. So a lot on the line. I, I don't know if that gets lost just because Oregon is 5-0 and and USC is only 5-3 and overall. But like legitimately, the winner of the, you know, if a win here changes what the rest of the season will look like, certainly. And if you're Oregon, a win here, again, all but locks up uh, the Pac-12 North Championship. Yeah, I think... The next possible date that uh, guarantees a a division championship for Oregon is the following weekend. And I I can't remember the exact outcomes that need to happen, um, but I think the earliest that Oregon can mathematically lock up the Pac-12 North is next week, which is a bye week for them. And that's what makes this game also more, even more important is this is a football game in which you're going down to L.A. You haven't done that since 2016. You haven't played the Trojans since 2016. Uh, that was not a good showing for Oregon. They were blown out the last time that they played uh, USC. Uh, and, and But at the same time, you're going into a situation where if you can win this game, it sets you up where you get a bye week after this. And look, this team needs it. You know The, yeah. the way that the teams that they've had to play uh, as of late, Colorado, or coming off coming off a bye, California, a really good defensive team. That's when Gus Cumberlander got hurt. Colorado, uh, a team that we were expecting to be better than they were, but nonetheless, it, that it, it was a game at which Oregon won, but it came at a, a great cost. Jacob Breland was lost for the season. And then you had a game up at Washington, uh, and that football game was a hard-fought slugfest. And then this past weekend, Washington State, uh, another game uh, in which Troy Dye did not play because of injury. Now he's supposed to play this week against USC, uh, but you've kind of had a murderer's row, if you will, of, of your schedule the last you know five weeks of the college football season. And so Oregon's going to get a second bye week uh, of the year and because that's the way the calendar worked out this year for college football. Each team gets, I think, two byes if they choose to. Um, Oregon's second one is coming basically at the perfect time because – you come home, you get a week off, you get a home game against a bottom-tier team in Arizona, uh, you go on the road and you play an ASU team that's young, struggling. They have a winning record, they have a good defense, but they're you know they're teetering up from falling off. Uh, and then you finish the season with Oregon State. Three very winnable games for you uh, to go into the conference championship game. So huge, huge football game here for the Oregon Ducks. And we're going to get Ryan Abraham on from uscfootball.com here. Uh, real quick, I think there's some interesting things 
that we need to know about this team, Eric. One, how much of a difference is is this air raid going to look compared to Washington State? And then I think more so the fact of this team, this USC team is in, is banged up. And I'm really curious to, to, to see what kind of the injury report is. We were blown away at what, uh, what was it, Colorado's was a couple weeks ago. Right. Uh, I think this is worse. Yeah, I'm, I'm, ex- I'm, I'm very curious to see the, the actual number. People may forget, but JT Daniels is supposed to be the quarterback of this USC team. He hasn't been for basically the entire year because of injury. Uh, you know, Keaton Slovis has, has filled in really nicely. Uh, well, I'm sure we'll talk about him extensively, but this is a banged up football team, but they are healthy in spots where it matters. You know, you look at that wide receiver group, they're healthy there, and that's an extremely talented group. Um, they, they, they're fairly healthy in certain parts of the defense, but for the most part, you're right. This is a a, a really banged up team, and they're, I'm sure, also wishing that they had a bye week coming up, which which they don't. I think they play uh, they play the remainder of their schedule out without a break. So uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see kind of, yeah, I'm curious to see what Ryan has to say about the health and how that could impact this game. You know, this is a, this is a USC team that has, you know, is, is five and three right now, very, very talented, but even a really talented deep team can't sustain injuries to crucial guys. Uh, that can be very challenging to overcome. The fact that they are, are what they are from a record perspective probably speaks to just the overwhelming talent at certain spots on this team. So, uh, you know, that's one of the positives I'm putting in quotation marks here because it's really not a positive if you're just a fan of watching the game. But it is a positive if you're an Oregon-specific fan uh, just because you're not going to get USC at, at 100%. All right, let's now bring in Ryan Abraham of uscfootball.com. Ryan, how's it going? I'm doing all right. It should be a huge college football weekend. You got uh, Utah and Washington and USC and Oregon. So some big some big dogs playing this weekend in the Pac-12. should be fun. Yeah, I think there's a lot of excitement um, up here, obviously because of the season that Oregon's having. But at the same time, it's been a, it's been a couple of years since these two teams, in particular Oregon and USC, have have met on the football field. And I think you know for the most part. There was always the run from from USC from early 2000s to, to like, what 2008, uh, and and then Oregon kind of picked up and um, carried the baton a little bit for the conference. And so it's always been fun when these two teams meet. Uh, I, I always say USC has the best talent hands hands down on the roster on paper. Um, Oregon's trying to get there uh, to, to compete with them, but it's always good football games. I think uh, when these two teams link up. I agree with you, and I think the one this the one difference to me is when you look across. If you're a USC person, you look across the aisle. You're looking at the opposing team's roster, and you see names that USC recruited really hard. You know, uh, the, the Kayvon Thibodeaus of the world, or the Mace Funas, or uh, Micah Pittman's guys like that. We're like, oh, those are Southern California guys that USC wanted, and they ended up at Oregon, part of the Cali flock. So. This is a, it's a definitely a different shift, and, and USC's recruiting is completely in the tank. They're 10th in the Pac-12 right now, which is insane. I've never seen anything like it. So yeah. it's a big deal for USC in this one. They want to try to get a win because the way recruiting has gone, the way Oregon's recruited is just like completely night and day. Yeah, we're, we're watching right now uh, an interesting run for Oregon football. I don't think – I never really imagined them being able to recruit at this high of a level consistently – um, I, I, I think that was maybe a little bit of the, the mental mindset of, hey, you can't go into USC and get guys uh, in their territory. But at the same time, you also have to acknowledge that it helps that 
USC's not who they have been, you know, historically the last couple of years. U- UCLA is down, and and so you have an aggressive staff taking advantage of that. Um, it's certainly I, I made sure to watch USC's game last Friday at Colorado. Um, I try and watch every game at least in chunks uh, for every team in the conference, but I really wanted to watch the entire game of that one. And since it was on a Friday, that made it easy for me. Um, and I was kind of surprised, you know, come from behind victory. I think this was what, like the first time USC's come back on the road in a long, in like four or five years to, to win a football game. Uh, when they trailed at halftime and the USC fan base didn't seem very all that happy that they won. I just kind of, I'm curious, what's just the temperature right now of USC football within the Trojan fan base? Yeah, the fans are just, it's sort of like you're in a state of, it's like purgatory. Uh, there's like almost, you're in limbo. The fans are just over it. They just don't want Clay Helton to be the head coach. The majority of the fans don't want Clay Helton to be the head coach. So you even look at a game like the Colorado game, you know, they beat, they blow out Arizona the week before and they're like, oh, that's fine. But then you, you know, you have to come from behind, you're down by 10, three different, like, three different occasions to, you know, a Colorado team that struggled and got blown out the pre- previous two weeks, USC fans are like, hey, well, how can this be, how can this be possible? Um, and you need that, you know, really nice come from behind victory to win. And they're got over it already. So, I mean, if they blew out Colorado on the road, they would still not be all that happy, but they really just want some sort of regime change. And I, I think that's, you know, your point on the recruiting side this is the same thing. Recruits are kind of in this wait and see mode. Nobody feels that Clay Helton's long for the job, but if they make some kind of run and they, you know, they could, they're in their, you know, they control their own destiny for the Pac-12 South. Right. You know, they could go back to the Rose Bowl. Are you getting rid of Clay Helton at that point? I think they need the recruits needed to find out something of is Clay going to be the coach or not. If he is, then it will decide if we want to, you know, commit or whatever or switch. And if not, then who's going to be the head coach and will he be able to? Uh, you know, bring in some of those guys. But yeah, the, the fan base is just, I mean, they are over it. Like they, they wanted Clay Hill gone last year. You're getting a lot of the same kind of mediocre sort of results again this year. And they just have become very apathetic, I guess, towards the football season. Well, I've always said that it, no matter what happens with him, if, if he stays or if someone else comes in and they hire somebody else, whoever it is, I, I, people on our side that noticed, yeah, USC's tenth in, in the conference in recruiting, and that's going to change regardless of what happens. I, I think, because if, 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 I, I just think that USC they're going to do what they always do. Three or four guys are going to either flip, or they're going to make a, you know, they're going to decide to stay home, uh, and, and USC, you know, USC signs some some big time prospects uh, once again in the 2020 class. Or, or, or do you not see that playing out? Uh, if Clay Helton stays another year. No, I, I think you're right. I think it's going to happen either way. It's just you don't have a lot of time because of the early signing period. If this was three, four years ago, it would have been okay. But being in this, you know, this state of limbo really sort of hurts things. And there's, uh, you know, it's not the early signing period like you sign a few guys. It's become the Everybody. signing period. Yeah. It's like you're, that's when you're signing. You can't make up. USC used to always do this. They would just make up for everything late in the game and they would sign a bunch of people late switch a bunch of people late well that's harder to do now or you know it's almost impossible to do so it's either going to be hey they're going to the rose bowl and they feel good about it and then maybe you you, you get some of those kids to sign on that i think you'd have somewhat of an impact 
But if they go out and hire a big name coach, if an Urban Meyer comes in, it completely flips the script. It changes everything. And then every recruit that's committed anywhere else is completely on the table. And you, you could just see a complete disruption in recruiting in the Pac-12. So I think you can make a big move by hiring someone like that. Uh, and if Clay Elton, like wins and keeps his job, they'll make some moves and they'll get some recruits. But, you know, they'll move up. They won't be number 10 in the conference. But, you know, they'll probably be like four or five, which is still the worst they've ever done. This might feel like a loaded question, Ryan, but do, do USC fans want USC to like win this football game this weekend? Or are they reserved <laughs> to the fact that, that that might actually help them long term if they lose? No, there's, it's, a, it's split, I would say. Um, there's arguments between fans like you should never root for the team to lose, but they are so over Clay Helton that some people, they're worried, oh, a win's going to mean this or a win's going to be that. They're, even the Colorado win, they're like, Wait, that's, that can't be a signature win. You can't look at that as something that's a, a feather in Clay Helton's cap. So to, if you beat Oregon, that's real. Like beating Utah earlier in the year, it was a big deal. I mean, that's the biggest thing that happened yeah. to Clay Helton since the Rose Bowl, mostly because you know, the win was great, obviously, but... To have, you, you did it with your third-string quarterback, which is crazy. That shows this USC has talent all over the place. But Urban Meyer was in the building. like He was there looking over his shoulder at what Clay Elton was doing. So he needed to play well in that game. And he needs to get his players to play well in this game because you can't – if you don't win this game, you're not controlling your own destiny anymore unless Utah goes out and loses. Well, no, actually you wouldn't because uh, UCLA would – You know, if UCLA wins. But anyway, it's kind of a muddled mess. But they're, the fan base – there's some that are just like, hey, we want to win these games, but we don't want Clay Helton around. But there's other fans that are like, I want to take this into my, uh, my own hands. I don't want this to leave this up to chance and have USC make another horrible decision. USC needs to lose to force USC to get rid of them because a lot of them don't trust that USC is not, you know, you know they, they won't see the force of the trees. They won't say, hey, you know, it was nice that Clay Helton made a run this year, but we just don't see him being a long term solution. They don't trust that the administration would make a decision like that. So they would rather see the team lose to force the administration's hand. That didn't work last year. They thought it would work last year going five and seven. It still didn't work. But I think this year you wouldn't have a choice. So I think they want to take the decision making out of the administration's hands and just see them lose a couple of games and then uh, end the Clay Helton era. Looking yeah, and one, go ahead. I was going to say just, just, you know, one thing that might impact this game in terms of USC's ability to, to win is just the health aspect. And I have, you know, I've been reading some of your reports uh, just on just the quantity of players that are either out or questionable right now. What's the rundown right now and, and how big of an impact do you see that possibly being? Yeah, it should be better than it was last week. There was a, you know, a few surprises like to see a Chris Steele who we thought might line up against uh, LaVisca Chenault. You know, Oregon fans will be familiar with him. Yeah. Uh, he kind of bounced around a little bit, but he should be. He was practicing again, along with Christian Rector, the defensive end. Um, so those guys were out last week. They had a bunch of dudes out, but they got some guys back in the secondary, like an Elijah Griffin, who played. He's been playing really well this year. Isaac Taylor Stewart was. I think he was thrown up before the game, but he, you know, he ended up playing in that one. So I, secondary wise, I think they're going to be. Okay, still missing guys like Apalier, Noah Deote. Um, Jordan Isafel, we thought might come back for this one. Doesn't look very likely. He's been out all season, had a, a foot injury. Um, but the, I think a big one on defense is Drake Jackson. Um, he's a you know, freshman phenom for Corona, from Corona Centennial, uh, really forcing a lot of pressure on opposing quarterbacks. And they've had some issue with contain uh, all across the defensive line. But I think he's just someone that disrupts things so much. He would make plays happen. So he was out last week, didn't practice yesterday. Look, looks like he's probably going to be out 
this week. And then the running back situation, you're just not really sure. That's where really the other kind of main injuries are with, you know, Levi Malpei had knee surgery. Don't think he's going to be back. Uh, Stephen Carr hasn't been cleared yet. Um, you know, also Marquis Stepp had a, he had to have a minor surgery in his ankle. So then he's probably going to be out for another couple of weeks. So it's, uh, you know, it, it, I think the running back position and the linebacker position are the, the ones that are hurt the most. But big, you know, Drake Jackson might be uh, the biggest loss out there. You know, and we'll see about you know Talanoa Funga is another big one in the secondary. But I think they got enough other guys back in the secondary that'll that'll help them there. Yeah, that, I was going to go into my question about Talanoa. I just I loved watching him play in high school up here in Oregon and at USC. Now I I just he's you know the the the, the next. USC safety that's really good I think he's a very special football player if, if he can't go uh, in this football game I, I guess is that even a possibility and if he can't what's the kind of the drop-off between him and uh, the guy that would replace him yeah there's been like a so I guess it was like a separated shoulder sort of thing uh, he's had you know clavicle issues shoulder issues um, yeah I, I don't I don't think they've said he's been ruled out yet but it doesn't look you know he didn't practice yesterday I don't think he's going to come back for another couple of weeks and he's the most sure tackler on the team and they've used him in a lot of different spots uh in coverage stuff obviously but also you know coming up near the line of scrimmage and we've seen some of the guys come in and fill in all right Isaiah Polo Miles that's sort of been uh, up and down a little bit we saw Chase Williams uh get back there and and play in his spot too so we've seen some guys you know mix and match a little bit but no one really brings what he brings to the table I think just even when he was playing as a true freshman Last year, it was just like, hey, wow, this guy's he's, this guy's pretty amazing, and he didn't even play all that much, uh, but became like a leader right away. You know, from he's from Corvallis, and uh, just come down, and you know, he's, he's like a five star, and started playing like a five star right away. So he's, he's a it's a big blow not having him in there, um, but I think the secondary overall, it's been very young and uh, inexperienced, but very talented. I think they've played above their heads. I, that was one of my biggest areas of concern going into the season, but. They've really played pretty well all year, even when there's days when, you know, half the secondary is out. There's only a couple scholarship guys left. Uh, they got some of those guys back now, so it'll help. But overall, I thought the secondary has played pretty well. But not having Hufunga is certainly a blow. Um, looking at the depth chart, I, I, I look at this USC team, and I see a ton of freshmen and sophomores on both sides of the ball. I mean, there's, there's a couple – you know, upperclassmen spread around. I'm just, I'm just kind of curious. How is this a young team that's that's just being asked to play at a level to save a coach's job that you know maybe a veteran team could handle, or is this a team that's hey, like there's a bright, really bright future for whoever's the head coach in, in two or three years because of all the young guys that are having to play. Yeah, this it's definitely weighted towards the young guys. I think there's only eight um, seniors on the roster, but they got a fair amount of juniors and, and redshirt juniors that are playing too. I mean, you, you could argue that's a young team, you know, everyone has a young team every year. I, I, I think there's a lot of contributors that are uh, of the younger variety that, you know, there's some redshirt freshmen and, and, you know, soft, a bunch of sophomores and stuff, but you look on the offensive side of the ball, pretty much everyone was coming back. They, you know, a couple of guys on the offensive line weren't, um, it's a pretty stout group. I mean, I think the defensive line, most everyone was coming back. Um, you know, in the secondary, I think there was a lot of uh, replacements there, and they, you know they replaced some playmakers at at linebacker too. But I think overall, there's there was some good senior leadership and some upperclassmen leadership on this team, 
and they have a bunch of young guys that have been asked to to play and I think that you're going to see that on every team. So I don't I don't think it can be an excuse for what they're seeing. When you come off five and seven, and you got the you know you have the most talented roster last year, twenty four seven in their you know talent composite had USC as the number four roster in the country behind like Alabama, Clemson. I mean Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State. I think they're in the same spot this year with the same three teams in front of them. So yeah, yeah, there there's definitely some young guys on this team, but I don't yeah, think that's an excuse. Yeah, no, they're they're way too talented to be. You know, to have five, seven losses last year, and, and they should have had three already. One of those young guys is, is Keaton Slovis, who's, I think, been kind of a revelation. Uh, you know, you, you never like to see your top quarterback go down the way JT Daniels went down early in the season. But with the way Slovis has performed, it, what's the sense in terms of, like, what's the long-term plan there? I mean, it could, could it be a thing where going forward, Slovis is the guy? Or, or does it feel like once Daniels is healthy, whenever that is, he kind of retakes the job? Yeah, no, I think that's a big question right now because it could be that um, because he's been that good. And I think he's he, we were kind of questioning the idea that he would be the number two guy coming out of the, the four person race uh, in fall camp. But he's showed that he can play at this level and uh, having a guy like Kurt Warner as his coach in high school, I think it's helped him a lot. I think he, the, you know, the coaching staff saw a lot in him. Uh, coming in as a three-star recruit, and they they trust what he's doing. And you're seeing what he's running. If you watch some of his high school tape, it looks similar to kind of what he's running now in uh, the system that that Graham Harrell's brought in. So I think Graham Harrell's helped a ton by you know being an offensive coordinator that that putting puts an offense together that's very friendly towards quarterbacks. Uh, you know, allowing a Matt Fink to go out and beat a Utah like that. I don't know. You know, you don't see that a lot. Your third-string quarterback going out and beating one of the best teams. In the conference. So, but Slovis has played really well, I think, to the point where if he can make a run at the end of the season, and JT Daniels is not going to be back for spring football, most likely. So, it would be more of a fall camp thing for him if Slovis, you know, makes some kind of run and, they, you know, whatever, they win the Pac 12 or go, go to the championship game or whatever. I think, you know, he's going to be able to do that again in the spring, another year, you know, a year under his belt and uh, make it a lot harder for them to put JT Daniels back in place. So, I'm curious to see what what transpires there. There's still a bunch of games left. We've seen Slovis, uh, you know, throw three picks in the game too. So if he has a couple of games like that towards the end, there are clunkers, then it's going to be more of like, well, wait till G JT Daniels comes back. But if not, he makes a run, then it's going to be, Oh, what's going to be, what's going to happen when JT Daniels comes back. All right. We're speaking with Ryan Abraham of uscfootball.com. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by progressive insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It was a very bright shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. All right, welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopo, as always, and we're joined this week 
by uscfootball.com's Ryan Abraham to preview uh, Saturday night's 5 p.m. kickoff football game between the Oregon Ducks, USC Trojans. Uh, Ryan, Washington State's offense and their air raid carved up the Duck defense last week. I think Oregon got some stops. You know, they, they made a couple plays to, you know, be the difference in the football game. But it was pretty impressive to see what the Cougars offense did against Oregon's secondary, which uh, defensively coming in, they were considered, you know, the or the second best defense in the league statistically. Um, I, I'm curious just from, I don't know if you've really watched a ton of Washington State or not, but just is USC's air raid, how much how much different or how, how different is it from uh Mike Leach's traditional air raid, or, or, or are they similar? Are they are they considerably different? What what's just kind of the the basis of um, this USC offense and, and the air raid that they have? Yeah, I've watched a lot of Washington State, you know, doing the uh, podcast for champions. Try to watch as much Pac-12 football as I can. It's definitely different. I think concepts and it's more of a philosophy, and there's you know a lot of similarities when it comes to that philosophy. But if you watch a guy like Max Borgie, you know, he's the second. I think he's still the second leading. Uh, pass catcher on that team, you're not seeing USC do anything like that. They're focusing on getting the ball to their wide receivers, basically their top three with Tyler Vaughns, Michael Pittman, and Amon Ross St. Brown. They bring in a, a, a tight end that's more of like mostly like an H-back kind of guy, but they're using him as like a fullback. And they run the ball more than what you're going to see out of uh, Washington State and Mike Leach's thing. It's more of a, it's closer to a 50-50 Ratio. Now, last week against Colorado, they, they did a bunch of five wides. It looked more like Washington State for a bunch of that. They they hadn't used much of all like uh, five wides this season, but they felt like they could attack the Colorado secondary. They did that. They even run, they took Amon Ross St. Brown and would have him kind of motion into the backfield and use him as a running back on a couple occasions. He had a 37-yard touchdown run. So they've done some different things, but I, I think – Throwing the balls to, to the backs out of the backfield, we haven't seen a ton of that, but they have run the ball more. And I know Mike Leach likes to keep balance where all of his skill guys are getting about the same amount of touches. Um, they just do it in a little bit different way. Most of it's through the passing game. And with USC, they do run the ball significantly more. They, they Like they said, they didn't last week, but they really only had one healthy scholarship running back. So I think that's sort of changed the uh, – the game plan going forward. And I think we've seen the game plan change a few times because, you know, in game one where T JT Daniels goes down, Keen Slovis, I think, threw eight passes in the second half of that game. Um, and then, you know, when Matt Fink comes in, it looked a lot more like last year where he was just throwing balls up to the wide receivers. It was more kind of the hero ball thing that we saw as opposed to uh, picking up, you know, intermediate passes and moving the chains like that. It was really more of an explosive play offense and, they just relied on those wide receivers. But in general, they, they have such good wide receivers. I think that's where they kind of focus most of their attention. Uh, but they could. I mean, if they threw the ball to the backs out of the backfield more, I think it could be very successful. It's just something we haven't seen them do quite a bit. You mentioned those that wide receiver core, and, and Mario Cristobal had a lot of really nice things to say about that group. You covered this program for a really long time. Where, where would you say this group ranks amongst some of the, the other groups USC has had? Because – Cristobal said he thinks all three of those guys can be first-round draft picks at some point. Yeah, I think they have that potential. They, typically, what we've seen from USC is they would have a duo. So we've seen like the Robert Woods and Marquise Lee or right. uh, Nelson Aguilar or Juju Smith. And they, like they would kind of – one guy was like the the featured guy. You know, it was like Robert Woods and then Marcus Lee, Marquise Lee came in. 
uh, and then Nelson Aguilar and Juju Smith. And there was usually like two of them. And you would, and maybe one of them was like the feature guy. Then the next year, that number two guy was the feature guy. Um, so this is different. This is where you've know, got three guys out there and they're, they're always on the field and they're always a threat. And we, you know, you see, uh, it might be a huge game for Michael Pittman or, you know, Amon Ross St. Brown doing things that other guys can't really do or the smooth like hands and route running of a Tyler Vaughn's the catch he had against Colorado was pretty spectacular. He just kind of catches the ball. The defender sort of falls like trying to, you know, bat it away. And he's on this, you know, standing on like the one and a half yard line and just like walks into the end zone and just like hands the ball, <laughs> the official, he's just real smooth in the way he does things. So this is, this is kind of unique. And maybe the offense has something to do with it. Cause you wouldn't, and maybe some of those other offenses, you wouldn't feature three guys like that, but this offense nice. does. Um, so they're, they're definitely up there. I think they got the, they all have NFL potential. We just haven't seen three at once at USC kind of having the, these big kind of numbers. And, don't forget, I mean, I, I still think Drake London, the, you know, the fourth guy, I mean, he's there's only so many balls that you can catch. But I mean, I think in what he's shown in, in limited samples has been pretty impressive, too. Yeah, he had a big game, you know, his career high against uh, Colorado. I forget it was like seven catches or something. I mean, he was uh, he was definitely a big part of that. He caught a ball on second and 20 when USC was down, uh, down three driving that final drive where they scored. And it was just. I mean, the slow, Keaton Slovis just found him over the middle. You know, he beat the linebacker. It was like a perfect pass, perfect catch. And you're like, wow, how did that even happen? Like, there just wasn't, there was this really small window for that play to work. And it did. And it was a big deal because they needed, uh, you know, after, I think it was after a sack. So it was second and 20. They needed to get back up there and uh, move the chains. Because if they didn't, then, you know, you're going to probably lose that game. So it was a big deal. They, they went to him in some key spots and uh, he delivered for him. We talked a lot about this USC offense. We haven't spent a lot of time talking about the defense. Oregon had a season best 306 yards last week against Washington State on the ground. Statistically, USC's actually pretty similar to Washington State, which is, I think, surprising considering the talent and, and athletes there. Why has that been the case? And, and does that feel like an area of concern? I just guess going forward for, for USC. Yeah, that's been weird. If you look at yardage stuff, I mean, it, they've actually done an okay job of being like a bend but don't break sort of defense. And they've given up, you know, long drives and they, you know, maybe force the team to miss a field goal or something. Um, you know, we saw Colorado sort of get their groove again, you know, and that, you know, that they were away from home for a while. LaVisca Chenault was beat up. Steven Montez did not look like the same guy as a, a redshirt senior turned the ball. I think he threw six picks over the previous two weeks. But when he came home, you know, Chanel was healthy. They got you know, a bunch of other really good wide receivers. They have a good wide receiver core, too. And uh, they're throwing the ball all over the place. They run the ball pretty well. And I think they kept USC's defense uh, on its toes, you know. And they didn't turn the ball over like we've seen before what they were doing on the road. And I think that's been a big issue. USC's turnover ratio is the worst in the Pac-12. They got 118th in the country. And, like, you know, Oregon's. Best in the Pac-12, number three or something in the country. Um, that's been a big deal. They haven't really forced a ton of turnovers, and USC is turning the ball over. Um, getting pressure, tackling has been an issue. There have been a lot of problems, I would say, with this uh, with this USC defense. Um, I think they've done a, a good job of stopping runs up the middle. Uh, that you know, Part of the reason they beat Utah is Utah was very stubborn. They kept trying to run up the middle right where USC's strength was, where other teams, when they ran wide, uh, USC wasn't really good at keeping contained and they would break these big plays to the outside. And I, for whatever reason, Utah was very stubborn on offense and on defense. They didn't run the same kind of 
drop eight guys in the coverage that other teams ran that, that were successful. I think Utah, if they had to play USC again, they would completely change their game plan because it was very kind of just, it was very stubborn in my opinion, and it didn't work. Um, but it's been a defense that's, you know, the fans have kind of complained about quite a bit. They've had their moments, but, um, you know, they're not going to see, they haven't seen an offensive line as good as what we've, you know, we see at Oregon. I think Notre Dame has a good line too. And they ran a, a lot on USC. And I kind of expect the same sort of thing to happen unless they kind of shore some things up. But that, that could be an issue. You got a guy like Justin Herbert, who's a great quarterback. And I think he threw the ball seven times in the first half of that game until like the final drive. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a big deal. They got to have to, they have to stop the run. They have to try to, you know, contain a guy like C.J. Verdell and, and that group of running backs. Uh, while you're also defending, you know, Justin Herbert and that great, that great arm. So it's, uh, I think it's going to be a tall order for this USC defense. And uh, they've, it's been a, a kind of a mixed bag as far as the results go so far. So not, not the way you want to kind of go into this one, giving up a ton of yards and points to a Colorado squad. I'm, I'm curious, Ryan, looking at USC's three losses um, compared to their five wins, has there been kind of a common trait that's been the difference in each of those three losses that they didn't do or they did do uh, in the five games that they won? Is there a, a, a common occurrence of why they've lost or are they all just you know, different, different things and, and that's why they've lost these football games? Uh, I mean, the first couple, uh, you're talking about interceptions and turnovers. They just, you know, that there's three interceptions uh, and it was first road starts for Matt Fink and, uh, and Keaton Slovis. Uh, you know, going to BYU, throwing three picks, uh, going to Washington and and throwing three picks. I think those are things that are hard to uh, overcome. Now they did a, do a, they did a better job on the road against Notre Dame, uh, you know, not turning the ball over at all, but they they allowed Notre Dame to kind of run on them and stuff. So I think that Notre Dame game was a little bit different uh, than the other two. But man, just turning the ball over. Washington's certainly a better team uh, than BYU, but. They, uh, you know, the, it's going to be hard to overcome like three interceptions like that. And it was the, you know, the first road start for each of those quarterbacks. I think that all kind of made a difference. But the the, the turnover has usually been a big deal. And then Notre Dame was just more. I think they got pushed around a bit more. Sure. I, and I guess our our last question for you before we let you get on your day. Um, in, in this football game, what's that matchup you think that's going to decide the game? I mean, it could be O line versus D line, or a coordinator versus another coordinator. What's just the the matchup? that you think will really decide this football game on Saturday? I think on each side of the ball, it's just watching Oregon this year and how they can rely on the offensive line to really take control of the game. I think you can just step on an opponent's throat when you can run the football like we've seen Oregon be able to do. So I think that that US, the, the Oregon offensive line against USC's defensive front is going to be a really big deal. They have to try to you know, keep it somewhat even. Um, but man, it's, uh, it, that's going to be really tough. And then for USC on the offensive side of the ball, it's, it's really what Oregon secondary can do against USC's wide receivers. If you're going to play a team like that, as talented as Oregon is, you want to win with your best guys out there. And that means throwing the football to your wide receivers. So how can they match up with Oregon secondary and, and can they make a bunch of big plays? They're going to need some explosive plays. They're going to have to, you know, we've seen that, you know, M uh, Michael Pittman with, two long touchdowns in the game against uh, Colorado in the fourth quarter, you're probably going to need something like that. So I would watch the USC receivers versus the Oregon secondary. And then of course, Oregon's offensive line versus USC's defensive front. Yeah. I, I, Eric and I were watching the Utah game uh, in a bar before the Stanford game the next day. Uh, and I think he and I were both just pretty impressive. Just 
USC's offense in that Utah game was just, hey, Michael Pittman, go run straight really fast and we'll throw you the ball. And, and he, he did it like three or four times. It was, he, I, I agree with you, the, the Oregon DBs against USC's receivers. I think that's, in my mind, that's going to be what, what decides this, this football game because those guys are at USC at receiver are impressive. And I can't, I will never get that image out of my head of Utah's DBs are, they are legit. And, Pittman literally just ran straight and ran right by them, and they couldn't stop it. It, 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 was, it was so simple yet so impressive. Yeah, I came out of that game thinking Utah secondary was way overrated, but they've been so good in every other game, and so it's like, well, they just I, I, they tried to man up against USC, and it was sort of one of those things where it's like Utah was acting like a top ten team, like, hey, we're a top ten team, we can do what we want, but in that situation, you're like. We saw BYU drop eight guys in the coverage. Maybe we should do something like that too. And they didn't, and it burned them. So I think if they, like I said, if they played again, they'd probably have a different strategy. Well, hopefully uh, we get a good game on Saturday. Uh, Eric and I will both be there. We'll, we'll come and find you in the press box beforehand. And uh, hopefully we get a good game, a good showing and entertaining for both sides. I think it will be. It should be a good, uh, you know, it's a condensed Pac-12 weekend. We got four games all on Saturday, but there's some good ones. So I'm looking forward to it. Hey, thanks a lot for coming on the show. We'll, we'll talk to you when we get there. All right, thanks for having me. All right, once again, thanks to Ryan Abraham of uscfootball.com. Uh, I think he is the best person uh, that covers the USC Trojans uh, out there. Uh, his site does a really good job. His entire team is really, really good. You're not going to find better information uh, than uscfootball.com on the USC Trojans. And if you're a Duck Territory subscriber, you can read all his work and his team's work. Uh, with your membership to us, it, it gets you access into uh, uscfootball.com. So you can read all their work leading up to Saturday night's game. Um, kind of about what we expected, Eric, in terms of, I, I, I think um, it, it's good to always have the insider and the expert on the team that Oregon is playing this week, uh, kind of confirm the things that we thought. Like, I, I think, it was going to be a game. This this is going to be a game that's going to be decided between, you know, defensively can Oregon stop their receivers and offensively can Oregon run the football in USC. I mean, I, I, sometimes it doesn't, you don't need to get cute and you know, it, it, it's kind of what you think it is. And it's the obvious answer. I agree. And, and I think that's, you know, on paper, those things would seemingly be somewhat favorable for Oregon. Cause I think if you were to just like pull Oregon fans on social media and ask, what are the, Two things, like what what components of this team are the, the the strengths? I think people would say ability to run the football and ability to stop the pass. Now, obviously, the last couple of weeks have changed that second one, um, but these are at least areas that, in theory, should be favorable for Oregon. But the the other reality is that USC's biggest strength by far as a team is their ability to throw it, and there's no question about that. And that's going to be a huge thing. So, like, while I think Oregon's going to have a ton of success running the football. If USC just throws the ball up and down the field, that could court, sort of neutralize Oregon's run game. I think if you're an Oregon fan, that has to be maybe the thing that you're concerned about most is like if there's a scenario here where, hey, Oregon runs the ball really great on its first couple of positions, you know, marches the ball down the field. But if USC just can't be stopped throwing the football, Oregon's going to have to adjust. And there's going to at some point if they get behind by a score or, or you know, 10 points or whatever it is they're going to have to change what they're doing. And if they have to move away from that running game and start throwing the football against a really talented USC secondary, like you go, you go look at the recruiting rankings of some of these guys playing for USC in the secondary. They're like four and five star guys exclusively. Um, there's no room for anybody that's not like a top 150 recruit out of high school. So there's a ton of talent back there, even though it's maybe not been the best group in the country this year or, or what, what have you. So 
uh, I think if you're Oregon, really, it's, it's, you, if you can slow down that pass attack early especially, that's going to be big because that means that you should be able to run the football, work some clock, uh, and move from there. I think the one thing that stood out as well was that there's a faction, it sounds like a decent-sized faction of USC fans that are like, let's just lose all these games and <laughs> get Clay Hilton fired. Um, and that's to me, a sort of like kind of runs counter to what you think. But I also understand like, look, when you have a coach that's not really winning anyone in the fan bases over, then yeah, you probably aren't particularly bullish in keeping him around. And maybe that means that you don't, you know, the, 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 the big way to ensure that the guy doesn't stick around is he loses a bunch of football games, which is, I guess if you're an USC fan and you're not a Clay Helton guy, what you want to have happen. Yeah, it, it it's they're in a tough spot, and Ryan was right of purgatory. Like they're they're literally stuck between being a really good football team and just being a little bit better than a bad football team. And I'm sure USC fans, if they're listening to this podcast, oh, we're bad, we're terrible, and you know. But the reality is, when a five and seven year is is your worst year in a very long time, like that that tells you where your program's at. But it. it Ryan also brought up the, you know, the, the talent of, of, of USC's roster. And, you know, he's right that the 24-7 sports, we have this thing where we can have the college football talent composite. And on there, he, was, he nailed it right on the head. USC's fourth. Alabama won with uh, 984 points. Ohio State, two. Georgia, three. USC is fourth with 915 points. So conceivably, you know, there's only five teams in the country that have 900 points. And ironically enough, three of them are from the SEC. Um, USC, though, has six five-stars on the roster. They have 41 four-star players and an average score per player on the roster of 90.42. And you look at Oregon, they are, they're, they're talented, no doubt. They are talented, but they are significantly further down the list. At 17th in the country, they have one five-star, 31 four-stars, uh, and they have a, a, a roster breakdown of 88.66. So USC on paper has the better talent in this football game, and that's why it's going to take Oregon's best effort to win this football game. No question about it. Probably, I, I, I don't have the rankings pulled up in front of me, but I would expect that Oregon hasn't played anybody ranked above them in that ranking. Like, is Washington above them in that rankings? Uh, Auburn is 13th. Okay, Auburn's 13th. But out, so, so outside of Auburn, Oregon is yet to Washington face. Washington is 19th. Stanford is 20. Uh, the next closest team that Oregon has played. ASU is 32nd, so they'll play that team later on in the year. But you're, yeah, you're, you're getting down into the 50s. So, uh, so, 40, yeah, or, 48th is, is, is Colorado and 50th is Cal. So, yeah, so up to this point, this is going to be the most talented team Oregon has faced and only the second time all season they face a team which, quote-unquote, we were using – you know, a tool that isn't exact, but is as close to exact as you can find, I think, in terms of just considering the recruiting aspect of it. Uh, but this is going to be, yeah, this is going to be the, the, the second time all season they face a team that's better uh, in terms of just that that ranking system. And so that puts that puts things into perspective. And I think that doesn't shock anybody. I think anybody that has followed recruiting knows USC. Is USC is really good with talent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think anybody knows that. So it's not a shock or anything, but I think that puts things into perspective a little bit and I think if you're an Oregon fan, you, you go into this going like, look, we're we're going to go against a team that maybe is more talented than us, but they're not, that doesn't necessarily mean they're better than us. And, and Oregon has been able to, to win games in, in tough environments where USC hasn't so far this year. I mean, USC ha- has struggled on the road. Oregon has shown, you know, it's a, it's a change from the last couple of years, but it's shown now a couple of times this year the ability to go 
away from home and, and win games and be really, really competitive in games against good teams. So I expect Oregon to be ready and, and up for the challenge in this one. I just think, and we'll get to our game predictions on Friday's show, I, I do think this is going to be a really, really challenging game. And with the way USC throws a football, man, it's going to be it's going to be a huge test for Oregon to come out with a win. Yeah, and real quick before we wrap things up, one thing that's a is an equalizer in football games is injuries and how you, how much depth you have to sustain that. And USC's depth chart shows 23 guys who have been identified as players who enter game week with an injury or uncertain playing status for this week. 23 guys on a roster that that features a depth chart of 22 different positions on offense or defense. So there is a huge, huge chunk of players on on both sides of the football that USC is going to be without or potentially without or in a limited capacity uh, for this football game against Oregon this weekend. And Oregon, for the most part, is coming into this game healthy. I mean, obviously there's Breland and Gus Cumberlander, but everybody else that's a starter is, is healthy for this football team and ready to go. So uh, that's going to do it for us on the Odds and Audibles podcast. Thanks again to Ryan Abraham of uscfootball.com. Uh, Eric Scopo and myself, Matt Frame, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Adios, amigos. Hello, everyone. It's Mike Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, Two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets.